First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You may be seated. I bring greetings to you in the precious name of Jesus, the Lord of the church, King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Brother Nate, for reading that passage of Scripture. Just a brief introduction of who I am, who we are. Um, I think he already mentioned I'm from the Shekinah Congregation in Middleburg, Pennsylvania. My wife and I have five children. Four of them are married. There's only one left at home. And we're privileged to be grandparents of four grandchildren. So life is good. 
Life is full of challenges. I used to think that maybe when we get it to this stage of life that maybe things will slow down a bit. I, we have discovered that it just seems like it keeps going faster. Um, we have two sons living in Kansas, married sisters in Kansas, and so we have that to tend to as well. And uh, so we're blessed. God is good, as was mentioned here. I feel privileged and blessed to be with you this morning, especially in light of your ordination here. One of the, one of the joys of, of observing church life is when the church of Jesus Christ moves forward and there's a continuation of his work. God is well pleased with that. The sermon title that was suggested for me this morning was Leadership Starts With You, speaking to the congregation. Leadership starts with you. We tend sometimes to think that, that the church is, that the, that the leaders or the, the ministry are the ones primarily responsible for the church. And to a point, there may be some truth to that. But I'd like to take us this morning to a, another level of that. That I believe that you as a congregation, you as a church, have a tremendous impact of what happens here at Weavertown. I believe for the Christian church, the mission of God cannot be limited to certain people in the church, such, such as your pastors. But rather, the mission of the church is for all believers to be fully engaged and work of God's kingdom for God's glory. Reaching out to the lonely, the lost, the poor, the hungry, the spiritually struggling, the individuals that are having a hard time for families to engage. It's for all born-again believers. Church members are called to healthy interpersonal relationships, working through difficulties on a personal level towards each other. 1 Thessalonians 5, the passage that was read, reminds us that we're living in a time or that the time is coming when time will be no more. And that our lives are to exhibit God's work and God's kingdom. It's a reminder that we have time now and that now is the time for us to step up to the plate and work for His kingdom. Let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. This message is not for the preachers alone. It's for all of us. It's for you as a congregation. Your personal spiritual life and development as individual members of the Weavertown Church has a tremendous impact on the testimony of your congregation and is in essence what leads your congregation to success or failure. Your pastors are called to lead and give direction, but God is calling you as families, as individuals, to work with and for each other to advance the kingdom of Christ for the glory of God. 
Several points that we would like to address with this, with this sermon. And again, these were suggested points. Confronting the desire to be a bystander. Number one. And number two, you, the congregation, lead the church in unity and spiritual growth and development. And then the last point I'd like to look a little bit at practical ways for you as a congregation to support your pastors. Going to the first point, confronting the desire to be a bystander. As an introduction to this first part, I'd like to read to you two scenarios. When I preach at home in our home congregation, I like to draw from the congregation sometimes. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to take the freedom to do that here at Weavertown this morning. I'd like to read these two scenarios to you. Then I would like to have a response from you as to what you think is wrong in these two scenarios. Scenario number one. A doctor is at a restaurant and one of the other guests starts having a heart attack. He sees the other guest even mentioning it to the others at his table after which he goes on with his meal. Scenario number two. A crowd of people observe three men beat a man unconscious, after which they search him for valuables and take what they find. The crowd during the encounter stood by in silence, after which they go about their daily lives. What is wrong here? What's not right about this picture? Anyone? They're not together. No involvement. Not my problem. Anyone else? No compassion. Right. No one steps up. This is an illustration of what a bystander is. Bystanders are individuals who observe or witness the conditions that potentially lead to bad things to happen. They are not directly involved, but have the choice and the opportunity to intervene. Speak up or do something about it. Bystanders are witnesses who have seen something happen. He observes it, and he observes that there is clear distress, but is not willing to mitigate the harm that can come out of the situation. As I think of this, and as I consider this, Sometimes in our church, sometimes in our congregation, there are, there are situations arise that you may observe and witness. You, can, you, you know that there's something that needs to be done. And you have an opportunity to step up to the plate and minister to that need or reach out to that need or to care about that need. I believe the call of God upon the life of us as believers 
is to do something about that, to care for that. Another interesting thing that I've discovered in the study of this was the findings of two New York City psychologists. They decided that they wanted to dig deeper into what they called the bystander problem. These two psychologists decided that they would stage a series of emergencies of different kinds and in different settings in order to see who would come to help. In their findings with that, they found out that one single factor determined whether people responded to a need. It wasn't the severity of the crisis or the degree of which the person screamed or called for help. It wasn't even the characteristics of the people in the experiment, whether they were young or old, male or female, black or white. What mattered was how many witnesses there were in the event. The more people who were around, the less people tended to respond. The essence of what the two psychologists discovered is that when people are in a group, responsibility for taking personal action is diffused. When we're in a group, it's easier to assume that someone else will step up and do something. So, we don't do anything ourselves. The problem is, when everyone assumes that someone else will act, no one actually does. Since no one else is responding, there must not be a problem. You as a congregation here at Weavertown, I consider a fairly large congregation. One of the psychologist's observations was that the more people there is, the less likely it is for people to step up to the plate because they assume that someone else will step up to the plate and do something. Friends, this morning, I am convinced and I believe that this need not be this way in the kingdom of Christ and in the church. I believe this morning that if you're involved in a situation and you have an opportunity to do something, to care about something, to reach out, to walk alongside with someone in their pain and in their hurt, whatever they're experiencing, I believe it's your God-given calling to step up to the plate and do something. Is it possible that sometimes Christian response Christians respond in a similar way to situations that arise. Or sometimes as bystanders in the church, we witness and observe a needy situation. We acknowledge that there's a need. We observe what's happening. We may even at times know what should be done. And maybe even go as far as to criticize those who are doing something for the way it's being done, but are not willing to step up to the plate and get involved. I think this can happen sometimes in the church. We observe, we look, and sometimes we even get a little critical for the way it's done because it's not being done quite the way that we think it should be done. Friends, this morning, let us call, I'd like to call us to brotherly love to consideration. What does the scripture teach us about these things? In Proverbs 3, verse 27, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand 
to do it. When you have an opportunity, it is your responsibility, your God-given calling to do something, to reach out. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. It becomes almost natural for people to come, sit and enjoy, benefit and receive and appreciate and profit but never feel a sense of personal responsibility for responding to the needs within the midst. Sometimes it feels good to just come to church and kind of cross our arms and we enjoy what's, we enjoy what's happening and we enjoy what we're hearing. We enjoy being fed. We enjoy just being there. And there's, there's an essence that's good about that. But friends, this morning, God is calling you God is calling all of us to opportunities that we need to step up to the plate and respond to situations. Several common excuses for being a bystander. Someone else in the congregation does it so much better than us. Sure, someone may be more talented or teaching, at teaching a Bible class, leading a prayer, preparing a meal, or showing hospitality. But if we never even try then we're robbing ourselves of an opportunity to grow. The church isn't a showcase of our talents, but a family that is striving to grow and mature together, and as such, we accept each other's shortcomings. Another reason sometimes people tend to uh, be bystanders, I don't have time. It's the pastor's job. I don't want to get involved. Sometimes people are afraid of getting hurt themselves. It takes tremendous courage to overcome some of these instincts. Instincts. I'm not going to take the time to relate instances, but I, I could tell you of instances where people have become involved in things and one of the first things they do is they'll come to the pastors and they'll say, you know, deal with it. I remember a situation where, where a brother came to me and he talked to me about another brother in the congregation. My first response to that was, brother, have you talked to him personally about what you're facing? And he shared that he did not, I said, I will refrain from doing anything with it until you're willing to take that step. What I was calling him to do is step up to the plate and do something about it. So many times in church life, if we're willing to take that first step, sometimes the problem just goes away. And in this case, it did. I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, God has prescribed in our word, in his word, methods of dealing properly with things in the church. Stepping up to the plate, being involved. David, the shepherd boy, was not yet king, though he was anointed. 
He was a shepherd boy being a servant to tending the sheep, was asked by his father Jesse to take some corn and bread and cheeses to his brethren and see how they are doing. He was being a servant. David had a vibrant relationship with God, was confronted with what to do with a battle that involved either defeat or victory for the children of Israel. David could have been a bystander and thought, surely someone is willing to step up to the plate and go fight that giant. That's not what David did. David said, I will go. I will go. He had a relationship with God in such a way that he knew that when he's faced with that giant and that battle, that God is going to be with him and that God is going to care for him. He wasn't okay with seeing the nation, the, the children of Israel be defeated. He wasn't okay with that. He was willing to step up to the plate and fight the battle, fight the giants. As a result, Israel, the whole congregation, as it were, were victorious because one man was willing to step up to the plate. David was not a leader at that time. He was, as you are, a servant, as all of us are, a servant. The Good Samaritan was not a priest or a leader. In fact, the priests and the Levite went around the other side. But a man traveling through, he got involved. He was not a bystander. He saw the need. He stooped down, bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine into his wounds, gave him a ride on his own beast, found place of healing, and paid for the care. Jesus said, this is what a good neighbor looks like. We are all neighbors to each other, are we not, in a sense. When you witness a wounded person, when you witness someone that has been thrown in the ditch, under the bus, whatever you want to call it, step up to the plate, minister that need. Be a person available. Be a person being willing to step up to the plate. Let's be like David. Lead by engaging in the battle. Be a good Samaritan. Lead by being willing to get dirty and invest your time, energy, and finances to bring healing to the wounded. The second point I'd like to go through here, you leading the church in unity and spiritual growth and development. Acts chapter 6, a beautiful picture of a group of people that were committed to working together. Acts chapter 6. I'd just like to read the first six verses. Acts 
Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should have the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nicanor, and Timnon, and Perminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of, the Antioch, of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to his faith, to the faith. The church here had a problem. The widows were being neglected. When the apostles heard about the problem, they called together the whole congregation. They did not blame or lash out in self-defense. Rather, they laid out some guidelines assigning the congregation the task to finding seven qualified men to deal with the problem. It gave these men the authority to deal with it. This model in Acts chapter 3, verse 3, places the responsibility on the brotherhood, on the brethren. You here also have the responsibility, and had the responsibility of choosing from among you men to lead out. This model engaged the church in full participation to do the choosing. They were to lead out in this way. Friends, this morning, God is calling you as a congregation to lead out. The apostles were committed to prayer and the ministry of the Word, and they could continue with their ministry even while this was happening. Verse 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude. I love that. There's so much power in unity. The church had tremendous part in fulfilling the furtherance of God's kingdom. Friends, the church, you as brothers and sisters, have the power to lead your church in willing response and banding together in unity. The result, in verse 7, the word of God increased and many were added to the church. In this setting, there was some cultural differences. There were Greeks, there were Hebrews. But in spite of the differences, they solved this problem because they were committed to working together. The church, you, in unity, working together, choosing, leading out, brought prosperity and peace to the whole congregation. One of the greatest gifts you can give your pastors is to dwell together in unity. Be responsive to direction given. Be willing to step up to the plate and play an active role in advancing Christ's kingdom. Philippians 2, verse 2 through 5, Fulfill ye my joy, 
that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Serving together in humility, in lowliness of mind, esteeming each other. Look not every man on his own things. Don't be a bystander. Be a person that is willing to step up to the plate and minister. When there is a conflict, when there is a conflict practice the golden rule. Respect and kindness. Do to others as you, want to have, you would have others do to you. The golden rule needs to be a part of our life and experience in the church. In healthy relationships, it may mean talking openly and honestly with each other, listening to each other, valuing each other's feelings and needs. Do the hard part. Do the hard work of talking honestly with each other. Talking honestly with each other. I'd like to yet look at several practical areas for you to support your pastors. The passage that was read in 1 Thessalonians, esteem them highly for the very... I'm going to turn to that and read that again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. I'm not going to take the time to, to go through this in, in its entirety. But my dear friends, this morning, your pastors do a lot of work. They do a lot of hard work. They do a lot of toiling and laboring. They probably spend some nights, some, rest, some restless nights, trying to sort through issues, trying to find a path that's right for the church. I want to encourage you to be there for them. Know them. Minister to them. Esteem them highly for their work's sake. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who, are, who labor in word and doctrine. Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they must, that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for your pastors. Ephesians 6, verse 19, And as for me, Apostle Paul, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Church leadership is stressful, but God is powerful. Get on your knees and pray for your leaders. Your pastors spend a lot of hard work and effort into ministering to the needs of the congregation. One of the things that you can step up to the plate and do is to pray. Pray for your pastors. 
Encourage them. Pray for their children. Pray for their families. Pray for their wives. Send a word of affirmation and encouragement. A month ago or so, we had a brothers' meeting in our country, in our church. And I was well aware that this brothers' meeting and what was on the agenda to talk about had the potential of a lot of variety of thoughts and feelings and even divisive potential. This was stressful. But I also realized that the God of the church has the power to draw us together even in a meeting of that nature. God, I want to say miraculously, answered our prayers. It was a beautiful meeting. It was a lovely meeting. When I went into the meeting, I was concerned. about where it could go. But God was in it. It was the prayers of the people. One of the things I wanted to bring out with this, especially, was after the meeting, several of the men affirmed me. That evening yet, I received a text from a brother. And this is, this is one of the things, brothers and sisters, that you can do. That will give your leaders a shot in the arm, as it were. His text said this. Thank you for leading out tonight. In such a wise and gentle way. Not that I felt worthy of that, but I'll tell you, those things are, are powerful. You as a congregation, step up to the plate. You can lead through those avenues. Know and accept the leaders. Know and accept that leaders perhaps sometimes make decisions you may not like. Church leaders have a tough job. The grace of God is always there. I can witness to that. They make a lot of decisions, usually after much prayer, thought, research, and discussion. One of the blessings of the way we do church is our plural ministry. Oh, I'm so thankful for that many, many times. But even when they have prayerfully made a well-informed decision, they will at times arrive at a different conclusion than you think of where they should be. The saying goes, you can't please all the people all the time except the truth. My prayer and plea with you this morning is that maybe there are sometimes decisions that get made, things that get done, and it may be different from what you wish it would be or what you envision it to be. But when there is a working together, and a willingness to unite together. There's so much power in that.
There's so much power. God bless you as a congregation here as you continue to work, move forward. In summary and closing, the church at Weavertown, to the church at Weavertown, you have a tremendous potential. There are many families represented here. Fathers and mothers, I challenge you to developing a loyal relationship with God. Love God. Love each other. Lead your families by example. Make church your priority. When the church doors are open, be there. Be willing to step up to the plate to minister to needs within the congregation as God lays it upon your heart. Be sensitive to God's Spirit. Avoid being a bystander. Lead the church by stepping up to the plate and taking responsibility. Pray for your pastors. Lead the church by being at peace among yourselves. Be willing to engage in healthy conflict and working through difficult things. Conflict is inevitable, but use these times for personal development and growth. Always keep in mind to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love each other well. Prayer, support, pray, support, and encourage your pastors. God bless you. Let's stand for a word of prayer.